I love that we get to show that bumper again. I like the bumper. I'm sorry. I dig it. I dig it. All right. This morning, I need your help, okay? Uh, we're going to do some interacting. You and me and the folks that you're sitting close to around by, if you're by yourself, you just got to find somebody that's kind of close to you that you can like turn and talk to. Uh, I uh, am going to start with a question. You need to answer, what is the most important part of this person's body? Brady! All right, tell, what is it? Most important part, tell somebody next to you. Most important part? All right, all right, all right. You got one? Next, next up? Adele! Hello, it's me. I was wondering. What's the most important part of Adele's body? Tell somebody. All right, next up. Lionel Messi, baby! What do you think? What do you think? All right, what about this what about this guy? Bill Gates. Which one of these is not like the other one? Bill Gates? Most important part of his body? Huh? And last but not least, the queen? Simone Biles? Now this one's a little harder, right? Because like her entire body is like an amazing. I don't even know what you call it. Weapon something. Like she's like like amazing. All right, all right. So you guys all chose, right, for each one. So uh, we're going to go back through, and uh, Brady is what? Most important part. His liver. Liver, his liver. Did anybody? Nobody said liver? Oh, uh, you guys are 0 for 1, 0 for 1. All right, let's see if we can do the next one. Adele, best, most uh, important part of Adele's body is her spinal column. Spinal, nobody said spinal column. 0 for 2. You guys are not very good at this game. All right, uh, Messi, Messi, it's obviously his digestive system. Nobody, no. Man, you guys are, I literally, I thought you were way smarter than this. All right, uh, fourth, we've got Bill Gates, obviously, right? His legs. Yes, that's right. You got it. Legs. Congratulations. Somebody actually got that one. Very good. And, of course, Simone Biles. Obviously, this one's the most easy, I, I, I think. It's obviously her lungs. Her lungs. Her lungs. No, her arms. Yeah, my goodness. Look, why is it, right, why is it that when we see these folks, we assume that there is a certain part of their body that is more important than the rest? Now, all of y'all knew you were getting set up from the time that I started asking the question, all right? Thank you for playing along with me. But the reality is, it doesn't matter if Tom Brady has a phenomenal arm, right, or really good eye-hand coordination, if his stomach didn't digest food. Right? If his stomach stopped digesting food, he wouldn't be able to throw a ball. He wouldn't even be alive, right? It, it doesn't matter if Adele can sing 50 octaves. If her spinal column doesn't work, it's not going to be able to send the messages to her vocal cords or any other place, right? The reality for all of us is that our bodies are intended to work together. And the parts that seem like they're not quite as important 
we find if we don't have them that it affects everything else. The most important part of Tom's, Tom Brady's body is the entire thing, right? How it works together. You okay up there, Kev? Okay, I was making sure. He, he thought he was choking for a minute. I had to do something. Look, if I went out to your car and, and I just took one random bolt off of it, right? You might think, oh, it's just a bolt. Some of your cars, you're leaking bolts all the time, okay? But if I had that bolt and it was your oil pan bolt, that would be a really important piece to not have. And if I showed it to you and I was like, hey, uh, one of you doesn't have an oil pan bolt anymore. One of you is going to find out in about two or three miles. We all recognize that all the different pieces that make up a working organism matter. And this is exactly what Paul wants us to know this morning. Why don't you turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. As you know, we're getting back into our Roman series. We did the first part of our Roman series uh, back at the uh, beginning of the school year in the fall. We spent time walking through the first 11 chapters, which a lot of folks say, like, that's Paul's theology. It's all the stuff that we need to know about who God is and who Jesus is and what Jesus did and who we are and what we need and uh, all this theology that's up there, all right? But Paul's not just like, it's only theology and then only practical. Uh, Even in all of Paul's theology, it's still very practical. But now, Paul really turns his attention here in chapter 12 to what does it actually look like, all this stuff that we need to know, or what does it actually look like to really live it out? How do we actually put it into practice? Because when Paul talks about belief, it's not just something that we have up here. It's not a set of knowledge that we need to understand. When Paul talks about belief, or any of the New Testament writers in the Bible, they're always talking about knowledge that is lived out in real life. It's active belief. Paul wants us to know what it actually is supposed to look like. Now, uh, if I'm being honest with you, I struggled with this message. Truth is, I'm really glad y'all are here for the second service because I felt like the first service, like, stuck. So I'm going to try to have something a little bit better for y'all today in the second service. You know why I felt like it stunk? Part of it's because what I have for you this morning feels just really simple. You ever feel like you're talking to somebody and you're like sharing something really simple and, and they're like, yeah, dude, I already know. Like, I, like been there, done that, heard that, I get it. Like, but what I found in life is that often some of the simple things in life are, are, are often the most profound. They often make the biggest difference on what our lives actually look like and how we live. And they're sometimes some of the hardest things to continually put into practice. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to share with you one quick theological lesson from the text and then two life lessons. And I'm going to do that through a a story that I hope will pull it all together. All right. So let's start by reading our text and then we'll dive in from there. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Some of you need to not think more lowly of yourself than you ought as well. Paul doesn't explicitly say that here, but it is implied in the language. But rather, think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith that God has distributed each of you. Verse 
4. For just as each of us has one body with many members or many parts, and these members or parts do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Right? If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, then do it diligently. And if it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. A pretty simple, straightforward teaching, right? All of us have a body. We got all kinds of different parts. We got spleens and livers and hearts and lungs and blood vessels and fingers and toenails and Achilles tendons and, right, all of it. And all these things are needed to make the one body work, right? And he says the same thing in Christ. Each one of you, your own person, but you, when you give your life to Jesus, you become a part of Christ's body, all right? So there's a whole bunch of different parts of the body, but they're all needed. And he goes on to say that uh, God has given each different part of his body different things to do, right? My hand grabs things. My heart pumps blood. My blood takes things to other parts of me. I'm not a doctor, so something like that, all right? My brain tells my legs to walk, okay? Like all these different things need to work in tandem. And they all have different things they're supposed to do. So it is with you guys, right? You're individuals that God has given different talents, gifts, abilities, passions, experiences, resources to. And the expectation is that you are going to use them to help the body function so that it can grow and go and run and flip and talk and do the things that Christ's body needs to do. So we're going to start with a quick theology lesson, all right? I'm going to ask you guys this question. You can discuss it with the person next to you. What is Christ's, uh, what is, excuse me, what is the body of Christ? What is the body of Christ? So have you ever heard that term before, the body of Christ? Yes? No? Work with me? Yes? No? Okay. All right. If you've at least heard the term, if you haven't heard the term, you can just flat out guess. It's okay. Do whatever you want. If you've heard the term, talk to the person next to you and see if you can describe what is the body of Christ. Go ahead. You can say it this way, the body of Christ is, fill in the blank. All right, uh, how many of you are like, you're like 80% sure you you got, you know, you're 80%. Okay, all right, quite a few of you, that's good. How many of you are like less than 20% sure? Less than 20? Yeah, yeah, okay, good, good, good. I knew there'd be some honest folks like, yo, I like, because we, this is like one of those words we talk about a lot. In fact, if you have the NIV, the New International Version, which is what I usually teach from, uh, it kind of breaks down uh, all the books of the Bible into like sections, and it usually gives them headings. The heading on this one is humble service in the body of Christ, all right? We're talking about Christ's body, the body of Christ. What is that? So, uh, basically, the body of Christ is the church, 
Did anybody get that right? Like, it's the church. Yeah, all right, give yourself a hand. Good job, good job. Now, when we talk about the body of Christ, though, um, it is actually, if we're going to get specific, it's not just the church. It is the church universal. All right? The church universal. Now, if we were going to ask the difference, what's the difference between the universal church and just, say, like a regular local church, turn to the person next to you and tell them if you think you know what the difference is between the universal church and just like a local, regular old church that you'd go to. Go ahead and turn to the person next to you, see if you can get this one. How you feel about your entry? You feel good? Okay. So we'll see if you, if you got it right. You can give yourself a little, a little pat on the back. The universal church is all Christians everywhere across all time and space. Okay? That's what the universal church So anybody that ever trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, believing in his death and resurrection inviting Christ into their life to forgive their sins, to follow him, all right? So we're talking about Paul. He's a part of the universal church, all right? 2,000 years ago, the apostle Paul. Uh, folks in the, you know, in Africa in the AD 400, all right? Like my man uh, Augustine. Uh, folks in the 1500s and in the 2000s, and you here that are followers of Jesus, you're all a part of the universal church, the church universal. Not only that, but people who aren't even born yet, but are going to become Christians, okay? So the difference between the universal church is the, and the local church, the universal church is all Christians throughout all time and space. Local church, though, that is something that is a place where you gather regularly together with other Christians at a specific time in a specific space. Okay, so I know this gets confusing because we literally named our church the local church, so it gets a little bit weird, but uh, the universal church is all Christians at all times. Local church is the people that you actually physically gather together, uh, in our case, on Sundays at either 9 and 11 in this particular space. Now, it's nothing to do with the building, okay? Church is not a building. If we decided that we were going to start meeting on Saturdays, at 6 a.m. at a coffee shop. A, no coffee shops are open, so we couldn't. But if we could find a coffee shop big enough, we would still be the local church GR just meeting at 6 a.m. at a coffee shop, all right? It's not about the building. It's about the fact that you gather together regularly with other people, all right? So I want to finish with this last question, and this is the question that will uh, kind of finish our quick theology lesson. How do you experience the body of Christ or the church universal? How do you experience the church universal? Go ahead and turn to your neighbor and answer that question. How do you experience the universal church that this text says we're a part of? How do you get its benefits? How do you experience it? How does it make a difference in your life? So I'm going to give you my answer in just a second. 
We'll see how you did on this one. I'm going to start, though, with an answer by uh, New Testament theologian, Dr. Doug Moo. He's one of my profs when I was in seminary. And I love what he had to say about this particular issue from this text in his commentary on Romans. He said, while the distinction between the local and universal church is helpful in some ways, Paul's letter forbids us from separating them. In other words, you can't pull them apart. Every individual church is simply the universal church in its local expression. We must seriously question then whether Paul would even entertain the idea that a person could be a member of the universal church without being a member of a local church. Paul would never imagine a believer seeking to grow in his or her faith apart from the Christian community. In other words, we often have an idea in our minds because we live in the West where we're used to kind of individualism and like we figure out stuff on our own that like, you know what, I can be a Christian and a follower of Christ and belong to the universal church as long as I have given my life to Jesus and as long as I probably do a little bit of Bible reading and probably a little bit of prayer and then I'm good. As long as maybe I know a few Christians, like then I'm good. Like I can grow up. I can be everything God intends for me to be. I can work out my salvation. I can just become the fullness of all that God wants. Paul would never have imagined that that is a reality. Why? Because it's not. The only way to experience the universal church and all of its blessings and the power that comes with it is by participating in a local church. I know this flies in the face of like our American rugged individualism, like, dude, I'll figure it out. And I don't really like the church anyway because it's not even really a, it's not, it's, it's, all, it's like this organization thing now. I'm like, nah, that's actually not what the Bible teaches. Like I get that our church looks different in some ways than, than probably the church in Rome. It should. We live 2,000 years later. We're in a different culture. But I promise you, a, an organizational structure has been a part of what the church has been about for forever. Ever since God actually uh, brought it apart or brought it together in Christ. And this is what Christ left. He's like, I'm going to build my church on you, Peter. And the gates of hell won't prevail against it. And so what we learn from this passage is, A, the only way that you can experience what it means to be a part of the body of Christ is by participating in a local church. And then there's two life lessons that we pull from this that are super simple. But I do think that they absolutely are the difference makers in you experiencing the life that God has for you. The first is this. You need the church. Super simple. You need the church. All right, it says right here in verse four, for just as each of us has one body with many parts and these parts do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. I'll tell you, that is not like a very politically correct thing to say in the US. You belong to me. Man, I don't belong to nobody. You better get off me, homie. <laughs> but that's actually what the text says. The text says we belong to each other. There are things that I have that you need and things that you have that I need. We belong to one another. The body doesn't function correctly without it. You need 
the church. Uh, I was talking to my wife uh, just last night because I was struggling so much with this message. I was like, babe, I, this, like, this feels so like, simple, generic. Like, why, I, I, I need something. And we started like, just kind of talking back and forth. And I was like, I, like, I need a, like, who's somebody that this has actually shown up in their life? And there's a whole bunch of different people I could start thinking about, but there was one in particular that Brenda mentioned to me, and <laughs> I literally texted her. This is how laid up I was last night working on this thing. It's 12.30 at night. I texted her. I said, when you wake up, call me. I'd like to tell your story. So she called me this morning, and she gave me permission to tell her story. Uh, her name is Kelly Bopri. Kelly's one of the leaders of this church. Many of you actually know her. Some of you are actually in her small group. Uh, many people that know Kelly don't know, though, her story when she was younger. Uh, she grew up in Parma, Ohio, which is kind of like a, a Flint, Michigan, where I grew up. Um, fairly economically disadvantaged. Uh, can be kind of a rough place uh, to grow up. And, and Kelly uh, grew up there, and her dad was an alcoholic. Uh, and not like, a, not like a happy drunk, but a mean drunk. And so he would work um, weird shifts at the factory. And when he was done, though, he never came home. He always then went straight to the bar and then came home drunk almost every day. Uh, when Kelly was four years old, her mom was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. By the time Kelly was five, her mom was in a wheelchair unable to take care of herself. Mom didn't feel like she could leave dad because it was the only thing that she had. Otherwise, she was going straight into a nursing home where she was going to require 24-7 care. And she had a five-year-old daughter that she's still trying to figure out how to pull this thing together. Kelly said when she was 11 years old, uh, she figured out uh, how to get a screwdriver and take the doorknob off of her door and put it on her closet, but she turned it around so that she could lock herself in her closet for the times that her dad came home on a rampage. Mom was able to do less and less because of the illness, disease that she had. Uh, Kelly felt trapped, felt unsafe. Uh, her parents were not uh, Jesus followers at the time. She didn't grow up going to church. She didn't really know a whole lot about church. Uh, all she knew is that her life was not safe. Um, one day, her sophomore year, she came home from school, and her dad was passed out on the front lawn at 3.30 in the afternoon, drunk. She was embarrassed, so she went to try to rustle him and wake him up just to get him into the house. He got mad at her for waking him up, chased her into the house, grabbed uh, just a belt that was laying on the ground, and started hitting her. She ran out the back door and went to the only safe person she knew in the neighborhood, which was a police officer. He reported, of course, what had happened, and CPS got involved. Her mom finally kind of had the courage to, to decide to, to leave her father. And um, Kelly's aunt and uncle, who knew that life was not good for Kelly but did not know how bad it actually was, uh, stepped in and said, we would love to take her. And so she wound up moving after her sophomore year uh, to Michigan from, from Parma, Ohio to Northville, Michigan. It's kind of the equivalent of moving from like Flint, Michigan to East Grand Rapids. Very, very different worlds. 
She told me that her entire junior year of high school in this new place, she was a complete outcast, didn't fit in, didn't have the clothes, she didn't know what was cool, nobody wanted to really befriend her, but her aunt and uncle did love Jesus. It's one of the reasons that they stepped up and said, we want to take her. So they did begin bringing her to church, and she kind of attended through her junior year, never really made very many friends at school, was starting to a little bit, but not, but not much. She said, I literally ate lunch every day by myself in the library. Senior year, for whatever reason, she wasn't able to eat in the library that day. It's the beginning of senior year. She's sitting down at a table in the lunchroom, and this girl sees her and walks up and said, oh, I was going to sit with uh, my friend so-and-so. I think you know her. And she's like, she's like yeah, I, I know her. And she's like, but um, I see you're eating by yourself. Can I, can I eat with you? And Kelly didn't want to, like, ruin it, didn't want to be like, yes. But she was like, yeah, that would be great. It was the first time somebody had ever asked if they could eat with her. And the girl, before she began to eat, uh, folded her hands and just prayed. Kelly noticed it. And Kelly said, I just noticed that you prayed. And she said, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian. Uh, Kelly was not a Christian, but she assumed, well, I'm not Buddhist, therefore I must be Christian. So she said, oh, me too, having no idea what that really meant. And the girl's like, oh, that's cool. You should come with me to my youth group. Kelly said, I would love to. So the next Sunday, this girl brought her to her youth group. It's a church called Solid Rock over in the west side of the state, excuse me, east side of the state. Kelly heard the gospel, that Jesus loved her, that God was a good father who was safe, that God would come and find her where she was. And three weeks after attending, they went to, she said it was like this awesome, hokey youth group event where they did like square dancing. <laughs> Been to one of those? I've led one of those as a youth pastor. <laughs> and the youth pastor got up at the end and just shared the gospel. Jesus died for your sins. God rose him back to life after three days. And if if you want him to come in and forgive you and take over your life, he would love to do that. And Kelly said, I, I could barely get up there fast enough. And she gave her life to Jesus and began learning what it meant to follow him. You want to know why? Because there was a high school girl who probably still didn't even really know all of her gifts and abilities and talents and passions, but she knew she could be nice. She knew she could invite Someone else. She knew she could give gifts of mercy by caring enough to sit down with somebody who had no other friends. And you know what? There were some other people at that church youth group that had the gift of teaching and the gift of evangelism and the gift of uh, mercy and the gift of serving, right? Gifts of kindness, gifts of love. And so they just gave whatever God had given them. They just decided to serve the other people there. And as a result, Kelly Bopri's life got radically transformed. God did just amazing things that senior year and that summer. And she decided she was going to go to the school called uh, Capital University in Columbus, Ohio. Wanted to get back to Ohio. Went down there. Found that she began to fall into the same patterns that she had known when she was younger. Decided she wanted to try to figure out 
like if this whole Jesus thing was actually even real or not. She knew it was because she'd experienced it, but she just decided she wanted to live how she wanted to live. And so uh, while she was down there, she started partying. She had friends from her church that came and visited her and started to recognize like, hey, Kel, I don't, like, you don't seem happy. Like the Kelly I used to know, like it's not your, that's not you anymore. And I'm concerned about you. You see, they didn't give up on her even when she began to like push it away. The church continued to love, continued to come around, continued to use their gifts. And at the end of her time, uh, that freshman year, she had a leader that stepped in and said, Kel, you can't go back there. That's not good for you. And she knew it. She needed somebody. She was hoping somebody would say something. She wound up transferring uh, to Calvin University. I met Kelly her senior year uh, of college. Uh, she had gotten engaged to a guy named Chad, played the electric guitar today. Chad had been coming to the ministry that I was leading. She shows up with Chad. We get to know each other. I invite her to start working. She and Chad with our youth group, and that's how we get to know them. Uh, this is a picture of Kelly when she was 17. That girl right there in the striped shirt in the middle, that was about the time that her life began to be radically altered. Why? Because there were people that were willing to use the gifts that they had. Kelly needed the church. The second lesson that you need to hear is that the church needs you. The church needs you. Uh, Paul, right here in verse 6, he, have, he says, we have different gifts, right? According to the grace given to each of us, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy, with serving, then serve. He just lists a whole bunch of like random things, okay? He's not trying to make an exhaustive list. Sometimes we like get too focused on what are the things he said? No, what gifts do you have? What abilities do you have? Do you know how to be nice to somebody? Do you recognize when somebody's sad? Do you have a heart for the, for the person who's maybe alone? Are you good at speaking? Are you good at making people feel welcome? Do you have some resources? Do you have a place you can invite somebody? What is it that God's given you? Any gifts, any abilities, any passions, any resources, what are they? That's what he's saying. Pay attention to what those are and then recognize that it's been given to you, not so that you can just sit on it for yourself. I was made up this story. I'll explain why I'm not going to share it the way I planned on. I made up a story about this guy named Jackson Wagon. He was an accountant for this family that had a family business in the 50s. And the family business like was doing really, really well. At least they seemed like it. But uh, they went to, to make an acquisition and grow. But they realized they, didn't have, they weren't actually making enough money to get the loan that they needed. And even though business seemed to be going well, like it just, it, it, they never seemed to have enough money to be able to get what they needed to kind of grow. And even when their kids grew up, they, they didn't have enough money to even go off to college. They just kind of had to kind of find jobs around town or work for the family business. And they found out 20 years later that Jackson, uh, Mr. Wagon, had been stealing from them. He'd been robbing the family. That's why they never had all, they missed all these opportunities. And I was going to say the moral of the story is don't be a jack wagon. Which is hilarious, I thought. I was like, that's so good. Like, don't be a jack wagon, right? The truth is, when you don't use the gifts that God has given you to serve the body that you are a part of, you're robbing from us. And I was going to say, don't be a jack wagon. And then God said to me this morning while I was practicing, God said, don't call my people a jack wagon. Don't, don't put shame on anybody. And I had to say, God, you're right. I'm sorry. So I didn't get to share my, I kind of shared it, but I was really going to get you guys. 
Look, the point is not to shame you. The point isn't for you to be like, oh, I'm not doing anything right now. I'm just consuming. Look, God's spirit wants to speak to you because number one, you need the church. There are things here that you cannot get any place else. You will not grow into the version of Christ that God desires you to become. The version of yourself. You will not experience the blessings, the power, the beauty that comes by being a part of the church if you don't engage with it, okay? But also, not only do you need the church, but the church needs you. There are gifts and abilities and talents that God has given to you and you alone. And if you sit on them and don't use them, nobody experiences. And ultimately what you're doing is you're robbing from the rest of us. We need what God's given you. If that girl in senior year had not said, you know what, God's given me an ability to be friendly. God's given me an ability to to sit down and eat with a girl that nobody else wants to be friends with. I, I can take that risk. If she had not done that, I don't know what would have happened with Kelly. I don't know that Kelly Bopri would be one of the leaders of our church today. You know what's awesome too is Kelly understood how powerful the church was in forming her and how needed it was for her to engage with it, but it wasn't just good enough for her to engage. God had given Kelly gifts that Kelly needed to use on behalf, and Kelly has. I was scrolling through Kelly's Facebook to try to find that picture, and I kept seeing girl after girl after young lady after young lady that Kelly has invested in. I actually shared a story about a year ago about a girl that her life got radically transformed by being a part of this church And you know who her small group leader is? Kelly Bopri. You see, friends, you need the church, and the church needs you. I need the church, and you need me to give what God has given me to invest in this place. We need each other. Um, Go ahead and grab the coin that I gave you. I literally raided my kids' piggy banks for this. You're welcome. So I stole. Everybody grab the coin. It's all right. If it's stealing for a good purpose, right? I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I'm going to pay him back. Here's what I want you to do. Take a look at the coin that you have. Every single coin, dollar, half dollar, silver dollar, dime, quarter, nickel. None of you got a quarter because Austin's the only one that got it. He told you he stole it already. Even pennies, they all have two things in common stamped on them. Take a look at it, see if you can tell me what the two things are. All right, what is it? Anybody know? Say the first one. Yes? In God we trust? Yes, in God we trust. That is one of them. Somebody said liberty? I hope not. Maybe, I don't know, but I hope not because that's not my answer. So (laughs) maybe there's three things. What's the second thing? Anybody know? It's not an eagle. Yes, e pluribus unum. E pluribus unum is stamped on every single U.S. coin. It's a Latin phrase that that means out of many, one. Out of many, one. They stole it from the Bible. E pluribus unum 
comes from scripture. It's that concept. Now, in America, we were kind of like, hey, it's all about like these different countries coming together to make a new country. But in scripture, it was all about different people from different backgrounds, different ages and ethnicities, different cultures, different socioeconomic statuses, different sexes coming together to form one body. And each person brings what God has given them, their uniqueness, the passions, the gifts, the abilities. And when we use them together, that's how the body is intended to function. The value of your coin is experienced when you spend it on something else. The value of your life is experienced when you spend it on someone else. Father God, we want to be a people who don't just talk about this, but live it. God, you have made us, you have brought us in, adopted us into your family. We are a part of the body of Christ with Christians in Iraq and Iran, with Christians in South America and in Europe, with Christians that are in Russia and in China and in Jakarta, Indonesia and Phnom Penh, Cambodia and Kingston, Jamaica and Kiev, Ukraine, all places that we have sister churches. God, we are all a part of that. But God, you've called us to this place, the local church GR. This is the local expression where we experience the power and beauty and blessing that comes of being a part of your body. And God, you've given each of us gifts that we need to use so that more Kelly Bopries will know what it means to have a relationship with you, Jesus, so that we can do the mission, the ministry, the calling that you've given to this group that is gathered together that your kingdom might come forward. God, let us be people who actually live it do it, go after it. God, we want to be owners, not renters. We want to have that mentality that it's not about what somebody else can do for me. It's how I can engage and invest my life. God, I know it's always, always in our best interest. And it also brings you glory. So let us be that people we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The really cool part about the rest of Kelly's story is that because of a church that loved on her. She found Jesus, continued to grow in him, and now she continues to use her life to impact the lives of others. But it wasn't just people in GR, it was also people back in Parma. You see, because Jesus had radically transformed Kelly, she began praying for her dad and her mom. And after a number of years of talking about Jesus, her dad finally gave his life to Christ. Her alcoholic father has, it's awesome, hasn't had a drink in in years now. Their relationship has been restored. Her mom passed away just a couple of years ago, but her mom found Jesus as well. All because of what the church was willing to do. Friends, that's the beauty and power of Christ's church, his body. When we use the gifts God has given us, to continue to develop so we can do the mission God has called us to. So friends, let's be that body, his hands and feet, right? Let's take Christ's body back out of these doors into your neighborhoods and your school cafeterias and your office places and your families and let's actually live out whatever gift, whatever resource, whatever ability you have to impact people for the kingdom. That's what we do. Have a great rest of your Sunday. We will see you next week.